Welcome to the Lifelong Customer Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Hammond, and today I have Brad from Tazoo. Brad, it's really nice to have you on. Hi, nice to be nice to be on the show today. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I'm excited for today's discussion. So, Brad, can you kick us off with telling me a bit about yourself as well as your company and what you guys are doing? Sure. My name is Brad Heidemann. I'm the founder of Tezoo. We started this company about 13 years ago, really with the idea that we wanted to deliver a Nordstrom personalized experience in a digital context. And so we work typically with level 1000 clients trying to re-articulate their customer experience in a way that really meets their uh, customers' needs. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. So how do you get into this? How do you decide you're going to start a company in this space and all that? Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know. I had a moment of craziness, I think, actually. I started my career at Nordstrom. I spent about a dozen years at Nordstrom, helped grow the company. It was very exciting and learned a lot about taking care of customers and providing great customer service and growing and building a business. And then I was in Seattle at the time and I, I kept running into Microsoft people and I was using an old version of a computer to manage inventory and those kinds of things. And I decided that I wanted to go work in computers or in the in software business. And so I jumped ship and went and worked for Microsoft for about 10 years or so. And then while I was at Microsoft, I thought, gosh, there's really an opportunity to bring this notion of really knowing your customer and treating them like a, a valued person and individual and technology. How could we bring those two worlds together to create a differentiated customer experience? I love that. Tell me more about what you guys do. Maybe just some general examples of you know, what a client would look like and project. Yeah. yeah. I mean, typically we spend time with a client trying to understand what the issues are related to their customer service or their customer experience. Where are their hiccups? And most of our clients, if you sort of think about a, a typical Fortune 500 client, they have 30 or 40 different systems that they use to interact with customers. And oftentimes those systems aren't integrated. They, you might be well-known and a valued customer in one system. And then they switch you over and they don't have any idea who you are and don't know how to treat you or take care of you. And so a lot of times when we work with our clients, it's really understanding where are all those touch points, where the breakdown of those touch points, and then really thinking through if we could deliver a personalized experience for every customer, how would we treat them differently? How would you market to them differently? How would you provide support to them differently? And so for some people, it's about driving top line revenue. For some of our clients, it's about driving you know, ongoing customer loyalty. But it, but for us, it's really about understanding what's the relationship between our client and their customers and where is there an opportunity to make improvements. Awesome. Let's yeah. talk about growing this company from like the early days to today. Sure. I think one sure. of the things you mentioned to me in our call before this was you're only going to go after Fortune 500 market. I think that's sure. very interesting. How do you go about doing that? I know Fortune 500s, they have a lot of rigorous requirements. They have long sales cycles, sure. all that. How do you sure. tackle sure. that as a yeah. company? I, I want to say the one thing, one thing for anybody who's thinking about starting a company or is in the middle of this process is picking your market is really critical. And so you have to sort of decide what market you want to be in and commit to that. And so for me, dealing with enterprise clients was just a comfortable place for me. And also I just... I think it takes just as much work to close a small deal as it does to close a large deal. So you might as well just do the large deals first. But the one nice thing about large sort of enterprise clients is that their financial situation, their customer situations, the challenges that they're dealing with are often well understood. And so as a as a someone who's wanting to do business development there, really understanding your customer or your potential customer, understanding the issues they face, and then being able to show up with solutions that might make a difference have a real impact. And so our first client was DirecTV, for example, and we had come to understand that they were having a lot of difficulty managing the call center experience. And so they 
you know, as we sort of investigated and talked to them more and more, we realized they had a database of about 35,000 answers to questions that the call center reps would need to manage uh, in response to a customer query. And unfortunately, that was very unmanageable. It was hard to figure out where to find the exact right piece of information. And so as we talked to them, it was really about like, hey, listen, there's a way to streamline the presentation of content. There's a way to streamline the top 10 issues. There's a way to know that there's a weather outage in a particular geography, surface that to a contact center rep so they could do a better job surfacing their client. But it took probably two or three months of you know, concerted effort and a series of phone calls and getting to know the business decision maker and kind of extolling our value proposition and how we thought we could help them and coming up with some ideas that they hadn't otherwise considered. And that, I think that that's all part of the sales process and part of working with a large enterprise customers. You got to show up with solutions. You can't just say, I've got a product. You got to really understand their business and then tailor that to that business. As far as all the legal stuff and the infrastructure, we had a good law firm from the very beginning. So when it came time to signing master services contracts and insurance and all of that, the best advice I have for people is just outsource that to the professionals and let them do what they do well. Absolutely. I think for me, when I started a company, I always want to move fast and have this great sense of urgency. But I know larger enterprises, they like to move slow and make sure all the T's are crossed and I's are dotted. How do you deal with that when you have to like move almost faster than maybe your clients are? Do you just, you know, you're talking to more and more people. So there's always somebody at the right stage or how do you deal with that? Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I often talk about, especially the business development process is like a stove, you know, you got a front burner, middle burner, back burner. So you need a collection of potential clients that are various stages in that decision-making process. I will say though, over the 13 years, I've seen customers start moving more and more quickly as it relates to improving the quality of their customer experience, because it really is a differentiator in the market. And when I started in 2010, one of the challenges is large enterprise clients were the economy was shrinking, banks were collapsing. They were really concerned about protecting those client relationships because it wasn't necessarily clear that the economy was going to be growing anytime soon. And so that, that created sort of a compelling value proposition. But again, as I've sort of progressed over the years, like the need to move quickly in a marketplace is really a differentiator in terms of from a competitive perspective, but also grabbing market share opportunity. And also everyone's worried about getting wiped out by a technology enabled startup, right? So that hmm. that sense of urgency is driving C-level people in ways that it hasn't previously. So Absolutely. the other thing I would say is like, look, it's really important to make sure you establish relationships at the most senior level in an organization. And although a lot of people talk about Selling in the C-suite, very few people actually do that. And I think one of the things that we really focused on is developing relationships in the C-suite. And we do that by providing valuable guidance, valuable observation, market a market understanding, a perspective about what's happening with technology, those kinds of things. Because if you're a CMO or your chief strategy officer, you really have a three to five year mandate that you're trying to drive on behalf of the CEO of that company. And so you really need to plumb into that. So it's not just about the discrete solution that you're going to provide. It's how do you help them with the strategic thinking and the planning for where they need to move their business and what they need to achieve on behalf of the overall goals of the company. Absolutely. At what point did it go from like you're out selling and getting those original customers to now I got to build a sales team, now I got to build a marketing team? How did that go? growth-wise. I mean, I think I did that within the first six months of the company. But to be clear, like I I do spend a lot of my time with my clients. Like I I learn a lot from them and sort of having my finger on the pulse of the market and kind of understanding what's going on in 
large companies, how are they thinking about budgets? How are they thinking about economic forecasts? What do they think about the 25% drop in exports from China in the last year? What are their actually the first half of the year here? You know, it's important to develop and maintain those relationships, even if I'm not necessarily doing the discrete day-to-day selling or the day-to-day business development. So I would say if you're in the process of building your business and you think you're going to, at some point in time, abstract yourself from those customer relationships, you are very misguided. So I would not encourage that at all. It's really important to stay close to your customers, even if you're not doing the direct selling or business development. Absolutely. So uh, any landmines to avoid in that growth journey? Anything you're like, hey, we, I'd you know, maybe you just knew to avoid them, not necessarily the oh, no. them, but what are the ones that you'd recommend? I, I, I ran into every every pothole along the way. So that absolutely, I think you can grow too fast. We grew too fast for a few years. I mean, it was fantastic. And I think we had three years or four years in a row of 100% year over year growth. It was amazing. But the problem is you stretch your systems, you stretch your communication structure, you stretch the the organizational structure, you have to maintain a larger number of relationships. There's really a big difference between sort of under 125 people versus over 125 people. And that's a big sort of differentiator in terms of how many relationships you can manage and how well do you do delegating and those kinds of things. And so, you know, I also think it's really important to take a look at how well you're capitalized. Do you have the capital for growth? You can win contracts and you can be growing, but if you don't have the capital to fulfill those orders, you're going to wind up with a bunch of disappointed clients. And so where I sit now, I'm pretty happy with 30 or 40% growth. I wouldn't be excited about back going back to those 100% year-over-year growth years anymore. That's just probably too much too fast. Yeah. And maintaining quality in your organization and also making sure that your staff is of the same level of quality as the, as the first few people you hire. That's super critical to the growth of the company. So uh, on a positive side, the more time and energy you invest in the culture of your company at the very beginning... If you think about things that have long-term dividends and payouts will help you through the challenges of growth, that's probably one of the most important things. So I would say I probably spend 30 to 35% of my time just on company culture, employees, making sure that everybody's feeling the love, making sure that we have a sense of clarity and mission. And I think oftentimes in the excitement, enthusiasm of growth, you can sort of let that slide a little bit. And I would just highly recommend not to shirk those responsibilities because the culture is the thing that you're that'll drive your company more important than strategy as they like to say absolutely i'm smiling because i think we're on this journey we're about 25 people i think we need to grow to about 40 in the next quarter and it's yeah, like definitely things that worked in the past we got to change yeah. them now though you know for scale and all that yeah well i will say one thing that we did that i think was that turned out to be truly meaningful is the first thing I did, even before I named the company or even really decided what kind of business we were going to be in, was I defined the values of the company. And so we created a set of values and those became sort of guideposts or markers, sort of think about it as a like a company constitution for how we were going to make decisions, how we were going to interact with one another. And I think that that was a super, uh, as it turned out, a super critical part of the growth and the success of the company. Those values can carry you forward and work through all the people that you hire that will help you grow your business over time. I like that. Yeah. I think for us, we now have people that are being hired that I don't necessarily interview. Uh, sure. So it's, you know, it's good for us to line on all those values of what we're looking for. So we don't, you know, yeah. and all that. So, but that's yeah. one thing I've tried to balance is, you know, do I still interview everybody or hand that off? But how did you approach that? So in my company, either myself or my chief operating officer interview every single person that gets hired. 
And it may be a fast interview. It might be a, a 10 or 15 minute sort of, hey, hi, nice to meet you, culture fit. Like, you know, I don't, I, I'm certainly not uh, oftentimes, you know, technically competent to interview somebody in terms of their skill set, but I certainly understand when somebody's smart and when they're happy. And for us, we really focus on hiring smart, happy people. And, you know, if somebody's happy because they've got a smile in their voice and they're, they're excited to talk to you. And usually you can figure out if somebody's smart with a few sort of sharp questions and really more importantly, the questions they ask you. So we, we still do that. We still make sure we touch everybody in the company and make sure that there's a, again, like I said, even if it's just a a simple 15 minute, Hey, just nice to meet you. Absolutely. I love that. You know, final round, like, you know, yeah, yeah, like this person. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. How are you approaching LinkedIn content, marketing, thought leadership, all that stuff? Yeah. So from a LinkedIn perspective, we're not really getting, LinkedIn is not really a source of business opportunity for us, but it's a great source for employment, for finding great candidates who are interested in doing the same kind of work that we're doing, share our values, those kinds of things. We made a concerted effort to post regularly on LinkedIn, publish thought leadership articles, publish articles about our culture, those kinds of things. And gosh, I think we grew our LinkedIn audience by a a factor of five, by just focusing on that over a period of a couple of years. So regularly posting is important. Again, you you know, LinkedIn is either a great source for business opportunities or potential business, but also recruiting for us, it's really a recruiting strategy. In terms of thought leadership, I do write a lot of articles. I write a lot of white papers. I think it's important to share your thoughts and ideas with everybody and make sure that they're understanding where you're coming from. I'm currently writing a lot about AI and how that's going to change the world and trying to get everybody excited about that. And hopefully a little little bit less frightened about the world ahead of us. It's going to be great, I promise. And then the other thing I do is I have a a blog called The Desk of Brad, and I write a letter to the company every single week. And Hmm. uh, so there's about 500 letters or something like that that I've written, something like that. And I write about all different things. It's kind of like a little bit like a Friday afternoon sermon. It's just a little bit of like, what have I experienced this week? What's going on with our customers? What's going on in the company? What's going on in the world? If I was on vacation, what was the great barbecue restaurant that I went to? And so I write every week to the company because I want to make sure that we all feel connected, but also it's a great way for me to educate what's going for educate people what's going on in the market. So as a person in a position of leadership and as a CEO, you've got to be communicating frequently and often, and you have to have multiple channels of communication. So I give people a lot of different places to plug in and I do a lot of public speaking as well, which is great. Certainly COVID slowed that down a lot. I'm sort of we're slowly getting back into the conferences and speaking, which will be, you know, I'm looking forward to that more and more. So. Absolutely. I love the letter idea. I do something similar on Monday's company update. Like we're sure. at 115 or something. So yeah. I hope we get to 500 and yeah. first, yeah. you know, everybody gets aligned on what's going on. And yeah. I mean, one of the nice things too, is I would say now, so I guess I've got seven, six, seven years of, retrospective. And so it's interesting now to kind of look back and say, oh, what was I writing about in 2016? And what was really important? And I was, in fact, writing about machine learning in 2016. We just Hmm. hadn't got to the level of expression that we're at now, right? And so, you know, um, or the tyranny of A-B testing, right? You know, you've got a red button and a blue button. And if 51% of the people want the blue button, then everybody likes a red button, stuck with the blue button. So, you know, how do we sort of change those models? And, you know, what's exciting now is the notion of personalization is much more discreet at an individual level as opposed to the masses. But anyways, it's just interesting to be able to look back and see how think my thinking has evolved over the years. Absolutely. What is one thing you wish you would have known before you first became a CEO that you know now? 
Yeah. It, you know, oftentimes when you're starting a company, you're going to make decisions, policy, systems, procedure, processes, relationships, and you might make compromises or you might just not necessarily have a fully baked solution when you get started. And you think, oh, I'll have time later to come back and change that or fix that. And that never happens. You never have time to go back and fix things. And so I think if I was to go back in time, I'd probably be a lot more deliberate and considerate about the decisions I made because the reality is you really won't ever have the time to go back and fix those things, even though it seems very reasonable at the time. So, Absolutely. I think for me, I've sometimes made decisions early on with what's cheaper, but maybe it's like a little bit more work. Sure. Uh, then the automated solution costs more and you don't have to worry about it, but it always comes back to bite you later. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I do think it's also important to understand how your company is going to evolve, right? And so if you're sitting in the CEO chair, you really need to be thinking about where is this company to be in two years, three years, four years. And as you think across those time horizons, you got to think about people, you got to think about systems and processes, you got to think about how do you drive cost out of your business? How do you drive quality into your business? And really taking some time and sort of envisioning the future will help you make better decisions today so you're ready for the challenges of tomorrow. Absolutely. Has there ever been a time where you have to make a big pivot? And how did you approach that? Several. Several. You know, that's a, that happens. I think particularly in the world that we live in today, if you're not constantly thinking about how a business might be changing, you're probably missing the boat. But I think, you know, oftentimes the, you know, the pivot sometimes is a change in your leadership, right? So there's, you may have been working with a team and that might have been the right team for that stage in the company or that level of growth. And then you might need to change out or swap some of the people in senior leadership. And that can always be challenging. We had one time in particular where one of our major software partners was really struggling and then they got acquired. And so one of our sort of major channels of business development just evaporated overnight. And so we had to quickly pivot, find some new partners, reorient our approach, and then move forward accordingly. And so I think sometimes the faster you can recognize that there's there's an issue and the faster you can get the pivot going, the better off you are. I think think one one of my pieces of advice is don't take too long trying to figure out where to pivot. Just get started and the path will unfold as it always does, you know, but, like but waiting, kind of figuring it out all ahead of time before you make a move, probably not a good idea. Take your while. So I like that. I also like the highlight the change in leadership. I think early on in the business, sure. previous business I built, handed out like high level titles, right? And it's like, hey, you're the head of design or something. And then sure. later on, it's it came to bite me at least because I'm like, okay, yeah. this, we actually need a real head of whatever, sure. you know. Sure, so. sure. The Peter principle plays out in 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 small and big companies, but I think it's really important to make sure that you have talent that is the kind of talent you need for that moment in time. And again, part of being a CEO is to really think through: Do I have that right person? Or and are they on the right seat in the bus? And part of what I've seen too is. It seems people shift in roles in the C-suite, right? So I've had a chief operations officer become the chief financial officer because that was the right transition and that was really their passion. And oftentimes, instead of focusing on operation issues, they were focusing on financial issues. And so you're like, okay, well, wait a minute. This is, your passion's really over here. So let's get you in the right seat of the bus and make that happen. And that often is a, a great way to sponsor or create innovation inside your company. Absolutely. Yeah, I think sometimes it seems that the company outgrows people. But sure. I like that if you can change the seats around. And it's not like you got to leave the bus, but just be sure. in a different seat. Yeah, yeah, like absolutely. It. 
Any last words of wisdom, advice as we wrap up here today? Yeah, I think starting a business and running a company is the most exciting, thrilling, joyful, inspiring thing I've ever done. It is also in every respect the most difficult, challenging, soul-crushing job at the same time. But it's the best of times and the worst of times. And so I think my advice to everybody is just embrace it and just go with it, roll with the punches, have fun, try to make sure you keep keep your head up and, and you know, you're looking around and seeing what's happening around you and don't get discouraged and never give up. I mean, I just, every day I show up to work and, you know, some days are great, some days are bad, but if you show up every day and you make a concerted effort and you're focused, you'll succeed. We're 13 years into this. I expect to go another 10 or more years. Who knows? At some point in time, I need to retire, but I really try and enjoy I try to enjoy and embrace the challenge and take joy and solving complex problems and just working through that. But um, I love that. Yeah. It's so, a roller coaster, but it's fun. It is. There's no way to get around it, but it's a fun one. Absolutely. So, um, yeah. Brad, it's been amazing to have you on. Thanks so much for joining today and sharing all your wisdom and advice. Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. It was nice to chat with you.